Happy Palm Sunday. If you have no idea what that means, hang on for a few minutes and it'll all make sense. But first, so have you ever seen these big victory parades that happen after some team wins the Super Bowl, the World Series? Have you ever seen it? Well, of course not. We live in Minnesota, okay? But maybe you've seen them in other states. You know what I'm talking about, these, these giant parades? Well, um, it's, it's big parades, confetti, giant floats, and, and I've never been to one. I've, you know, I've seen pictures and stuff, but we actually have someone here, here at River Life that has been to one of these parades. It's our very own Chicago Cubs superfan, Johan Yang. And so he's actually been to one of these giant parades. When, when the Cubs won, he's from the Chicago area, huge Cubs fan. So he actually took his whole family down there, of course, dressed all in Cubs gear, Okay? Took the whole family down there to be a part of this gigantic, awesome celebration. And so here's a picture. Here's a picture of what, what they saw um, down there. It was just a giant sea of people. Okay? And then if you, yeah, yeah so it, uh, forward over two, two pictures there, two slides. Uh, there we go. There we go. There, so, so that was Johan's view. Like, it's just a sea of people. There were estimated four to five million people out for this parade. Okay, I cannot even fathom four to five million people. That's about, that's more than the entire Twin Cities. Imagine the entire Twin Cities plus another like half of the Twin Cities. All outside, lining the streets, cheering for sort of the ultimate underdog story. It, it sounds pretty amazing and to hear Johan describe it, it was such a moving experience to be a part of that level of celebration. So here's another picture of it, not from Johan's camera. Okay, he did not go there with a drone. Okay, but so here's, here's another picture taken from the sky of just, the, that was, oh, nope, other way. Okay, that, so this was taken in, in just one of the intersections. And this thing went on for miles. It was incredible. Okay, but imagine being a part of something like that. Well, today is a day that we, we around churches, we celebrate something called Palm Sunday. And it's a celebration of a parade like that, but obviously not of that scale. And it was a little different, okay? So it's this thing called Palm Sunday, and it represents the day that, that Jesus entered into Jerusalem for the last time. You see, he spent most of his, his ministry outside of Jerusalem. And, and yeah, he comes in now and then, but most of the time he wasn't in this big major capital. Kind of think of it like, like someone who's, who would grow up most of their life up north, and then they come into the big city. Okay? This Palm Sunday is when Jesus came into Jerusalem for the very last time. And it turned out that it kind of became a big deal. So this, this day also kicks off what, what churches call Holy Week. This is the last week of Jesus' life that sort of started with him entering into Jerusalem okay, and then dying and being raised to new life. And let me be very clear. The Gospels are very clear. Jesus was very clear. He came into Jerusalem to die. He knew exactly what he was doing. It was exactly part of his plan, and more importantly, it was exactly part of God's plan. Okay? And, and it represents this, this week here, this holy week. This represents kind of the beginning of it. And think about it. By next Friday, Jesus is crucified. 
And then by next Sunday, Easter Sunday, he is raised again to new life. And that's, this day is kind of think of it as the beginning of Easter. And this whole week long is all about Easter. So it raises an obvious question. Why does all of this matter? Why does it matter? Historically, it was a huge event. Biblically, it was a huge event. But really, now, why does this matter? Other than understanding the, the historical and, and the part in this played in, in God's grand narrative and all of that. What difference does it make today? Well, I think it does still matter. Because, because the statement that Jesus made in that moment, on, on Palm Sunday, the statement Jesus made is as relevant today as it was back then. It is as relevant for us today as it was for the Israelites back then. And I think it still matters so, so what is that statement? What is that statement that Jesus made in this Palm Sunday? Well, we're going to look at the passage today, and we're going to see how God speaks through me and how God speaks to you directly, looking at this passage, to see why does it still matter. So this story is also called the triumphal entry. Right? And what's interesting about this is that it's one of the stories that is included in every single gospel. There are only 10 or 11 events that are recorded in every single gospel. This is one of them. So that just shows there is something really important that the writers of the gospel, inspired by the Holy Spirit, saw in this event. There was something really important about it. And, and so we're going to read the whole thing first, and then I'll go and explain through parts of it. And so here we go. This is Matthew 21. This is coming out of Matthew 21. If you want to read along, if you like reading along, if you have your Bible, you can do that. Click to it. Open up your app. Oh, you can also read along on screen. So it's Matthew 21, 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, that incidentally is, is a small town just east of Jerusalem. I mean, walking distance from Jerusalem. You can practically, with a good wind, you could spit from one to the other, okay? So that's what Bethphage is and this Mount of Olives. Okay, they came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey. A donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, to the, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt to the, and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. 
When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, asking, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Okay. So, so what's going on here? What's going on here, and why does it still matter for us today? So first, the big picture. The reason this passage is called the triumphal entry is because it, it mirrors what, what was happened in Roman time, in Roman cultures, societies, about what was called a Roman triumphal entry or triumphal parade. And this is what kings did. Kings did particularly when they won a big battle. So they got their, their generals and they got their high commanders and, and they would parade them through the streets. So here's, here's a picture, okay? Here's a picture of what one of these Roman victory parades look like, okay? Actually, I'm just kidding. This is the, the ending scene from Star Wars Phantom Menace. Yeah, okay. And, and those, those aren't soldiers. Those are Gungans like Jar Jar Binks. But, but what's interesting about this scene in Phantom Menace is it was modeled after the Roman triumph parades. So this actually is what it looks like. But here's a better picture. Here's a better depiction of what an actual Roman triumph parade would look like. Soldiers and generals on chariots, soldiers lining the roads, people there cheering them. So this was a normal occurrence for kings, and especially when there was a, a military victory. Okay? So that's the context of what's happening here. That's what a triumph parade is. Okay? So, and as you can probably tell already, that Jesus' triumphal entry was a bit different than a typical Roman triumphal parade. Okay? So first, first, let's talk about what's with this whole riding a donkey thing. There was a whole lot in this passage, like half the passage was about Jesus riding a donkey, okay? And so, so that you have to wonder, like, there's got to be more than just describing the mode of transportation here. So why, what's so important? Well, what's great about this passage is Matthew actually answers it. He tells us why it's important, and, and he, he says it. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. So this is a prophecy. This is a direct quote from the Old Testament. It's a prophecy out of the book of Zechariah, who is one of the prophets. This was written about 500 years before Jesus ever came on the scene. So about 500 years, one of the, the statements that would mark the promised Messiah king of the Old Testament was, here is your king riding on a donkey. Now this phrase, daughter Zion, uh, that's, that's a reference, that's sort of like a nickname for, for Jerusalem, for the Israelites, because Zion was the hill, it was the little mountain that the city of Jerusalem was built on. So, so it kind of became synonymous with Jerusalem, which was synonymous with the Israelites. So he's saying, hey, Israelites, look for your king because your king is going to be riding on a donkey. Now, okay, to us, that sounds a little strange. You don't see, you don't see many great westerns with the good guy all dressed in white, like riding on a donkey, okay? No, they ride big horses. Okay? That's what people ride. See, back then, people rode horses as well. But here was the big difference, See, kings rode horses into battle. They rode donkeys during peace. See, kings rode horses into battle. They, they rode horses during wartime. 
but they rode donkeys during peacetime. And that's what's amazing about this, is because by doing this, by riding a donkey, Jesus was saying two things. He was saying two things to anybody who saw this or heard about it. First, that he was the promised Messiah King of the Old Testament. Now, that is no small matter. This is something which God had been promising ever since Genesis. Since the, even before the Israelites existed as a people, God was promising this. So that's the first thing Jesus was saying, that this promised Savior, this promised Messiah, this King of Israel, that's me. Okay? The second thing, the second thing Jesus was saying was that he was a peaceable Messiah who is humble and gentle. And that's the thing that would have just twisted people because they didn't understand that. At that time, the Israelites were under Roman occupation, so they weren't slaves, but they weren't free. The Romans essentially owned the land and the people, and the Israelites kind of lived in and worked it. And so for, some, for most of them at that time, a savior meant freedom from Roman occupation. It meant to overthrow their, their oppressors. But Jesus came very clearly to say, this isn't wartime. That's not why I am here. I am riding a donkey because I am a peaceable Messiah. And that would have been really hard for people to understand. That would have been, been a little bit tough for them. But that's what he was saying. So, so next. Next we see all the people and the palm branches, the leaves, the cheering. We see all of that going on. And there's some debate whether they were really palm branches because they were not native to that area of the region. You know what? Palm branches, maple branches, whatever bushes were around, they grabbed and started waving them and threw them on the ground. So hopefully as you walked into church, you were feeling a little special. You were walking through your, your own little mini triumph parade. Okay? But that's the idea that, that it became this big spectacle. And so the passage describes a very large crowd. Now, we don't really know how big a very large crowd is. It certainly was not four to five million like the Cubs parade. Okay? But what this tells you, it is bigger than what they're used to seeing. We're used to seeing gigantic crowds. So I don't know what a very large crowd would be, what, 10 million people gathered? I don't know. But to them, this was huge. This was a big deal going on in this moment. And so that's the first thing. So the, the next, all these palm branches that get laid on the ground. They even say that they, they took, took off their, their cloaks. Imagine like taking off your jacket and laying them on the ground. Now, this one we can understand a little bit. It was their red carpet. Jesus was getting the red carpet treatment from everybody. It's the same reason why we have flower girls at weddings. You know that? Okay? So sorry, brides, but you're maybe the second most beautiful, cutest person at the wedding because it's always the flower girl, man. They steal the show. Okay? But that's what the flower girl does. Walks down and spreads petals, throws petals, and sometimes like wanders off to mommy and, and stops because they get nervous. But all of that, that's what they're doing. They're creating this idea of something special for the bride to walk on as she approaches the groom. And that's what was happening here. 
is this was, this was a triumph parade. So people were doing things that they understood would create a celebratory environment. So they were laying down their coats, kind of creating their own, I don't know, green carpet. Okay? But it was this idea to create this special entrance for Jesus. So that's, that's also what they were seeing. And then, then also they, had, they were waving them. The passage says they were waving palm branches. And I don't know, maybe, maybe they didn't know how to throw confetti from the second floor. Maybe this was their modern idea of confetti. But it did. It made it a big festive, as you can see from the picture. It made it a big festive uh, celebration. Right? So the crowd also shouted some stuff. So the crowd shouted some stuff. And here's, here's what they said. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, first of all, we've we got to understand, we, we need some explanation here. Because my guess is, you're maybe not in the middle of this awesome worship song, you start shouting out Hosanna. Unless maybe you come from like Hosanna Lutheran Church, then maybe you do shout Hosanna. I don't know. Okay? But so what, is, what are these things that they're shouting out? So, uh, again, not unlike the donkey reference, these are direct references from the Old Testament. All of these speak to the kingship and the messiahship of Jesus. So first, Hosanna. Hosanna, this was, this was a, an Aramaic translation of a Hebrew word that meant save us. It actually just means save with the, the us implied. So, there's the, so they're, they're shouting out, save us, save us. So this word Hosanna over time became a word of prayer, but also a word of praise, as in like, you will save us. You promise to save us. So that's what they were shouting out. They were shouting out this word of prayer and praise. But this is only something you say to God. You don't say this to people because God is only the only one who saves so this Hosanna, this was a uniquely divine prayer, and it was the promised Messiah King who would save. So this, this was directly saying, essentially, save us, promised Messiah King. All in one little word, Hosanna. And next, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This, this is a direct quote. This is a direct quote out of, um, out of Psalm 118. And this whole psalm, if you know the whole psalm, it's very much, it's a Messiah psalm. And so here they're taking this one verse to represent this whole idea of crying out to Messiah. The, he who comes in the name of the Lord, that's the Messiah King. It's not just anybody who walks through the door saying, I come in the name of the Lord. No, this, this was the Messiah King. And then there's this phrase, son of David. Okay, this was a common expression, um, from, again, from the Old Testament for the Messiah. Particularly, it highlights his lineage from King David. because That was one of the prophecies that the, that the promised Messiah would come from the line or the clan of David. And so here it is, the son of David. And this doesn't mean like the actual son, like King Solomon was the birth son of David. That's not what this is. This is more, this bigger picture of this son from the line of David, Messiah. So, so the people were shouting out, Messiah King, Messiah King. 
and waving and throwing confetti and little party poppers, the whole bit. Everything was happening in that thing. So these are all shouts of prayer and praise to Jesus as the one true Messiah King promised by God throughout the Old Testament. This is the one, Jesus, this is the one who has all authority. This is the one that has all power. This is the one who will make all things right. This is the one who will reconcile all things to God. That's what they're saying here. Now, why this is such a big deal is because this was a huge public spectacle. This was no small private affair. In fact, we can see it by the end of the passage, the whole city of Jerusalem had heard about this. That's how quickly it spread. But what's amazing is this is the first time in all the Gospels, in, the, in Jesus' entire ministry, where he went public with his identity, his true identity, as Messiah, promised Messiah King. This is the first time. Now, he, he, throughout the Gospels, he revealed it to individuals. He told his disciples, but he also told them not to tell anyone. This is the first time he went public, and he went public big time. And that's why this moment is such a remarkable moment in time in the story of Jesus. Because he went undeniably public that he is Messiah. He is the Savior. And he had everyone cheering it along with him. And, and that's, so what's amazing about this, this public display, that it's no wonder he was dead in less than a week. Because the Jewish leaders, they did not take kindly to a person claiming to be Messiah. That was something, especially someone from like the backwoods of Nazareth. So they didn't like it. And the Romans, they did not take kindly to someone claiming to be king because there was only one king, and that was the emperor. So they didn't like it. So it's no wonder. He goes public, and in less than a week, he is executed. And this marked a turning point. This marked a turning point in Jesus' story because Jesus claimed to be both the Messiah and the king. So at this point, I want to, I want to pause and play a video. I, I want to play, it's a great summary video from a couple of my favorite guys. They're, they're called the Skit Guys, um, and they do a wonderful job summarizing Palm Sunday. It's about four minutes long, so sit back and enjoy. Hey, Tommy and Eddie here to talk to you about something really great, Palm Sunday. Yeah, that's the Sunday that we paint our palms purple to commemorate King Saul talking to that palm reader lady, and then we wave him in the air. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's yes, not. Yes, it no. is. What Bible do you read? Palm Sunday commemorates the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now picture this. Jesus rode in on a donkey while the crowds put their cloaks and palm branches all over the ground, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. That's what I said. That's what I meant. Okay, now picture this. Jesus' popularity was going viral. I mean, he just raised Lazarus from the dead in the same community just a few days earlier. Wait, post-dead Lazarus was maybe at the very first Palm Sunday? 
Yeah, probably. That's so cool. I bet if he was there, he was probably like, And you're a thriller, thriller, Jesus. You raised me from the dead when you said, Get up, get up, get up, ooh. <laughs> now, to complete all of this, Jesus needed a donkey. Now, you'd think that a king or a prince would ride in on a horse. But not Jesus. He knew the message that he wanted to send. You see, a donkey represents peace. Anybody riding a donkey represented peaceful intentions. Yeah, it says right here in Matthew 21, it says that Jesus sent two of his disciples to get him a donkey. Yeah. Hey, I wonder which two he sent. Mm, maybe Thomas. I doubt it. I bet he sent Andrew. Andrew would totally do that. And probably Tony. I bet he said Andrew and Tony. Tony's not a disciple. Oh, sorry. Tony is. Still, not a disciple. What translation of the Bible do you read? Jesus needed a donkey, so he asked two disciples to go get him a donkey. He told them they would find one in town, tied there next to a colt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says, untie them and bring them to me. And if somebody asks you about it, you tell them the Lord needs them? Jeez. Yeah, what? Well, Jesus just told his disciples to go steal a donkey for him. What Bible do you read? It doesn't say that at all. I can't figure this out. I mean, Jesus, he changed water into wine. Cool. He fed the 4,000. He fed right? the 5,000. What? He fed the 5,000. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Not the fourth. It's the 5,000. We're splitting hairs. I'm sorry. Jesus fed a large group of people. and That's cool. He, he healed people with leprosy. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and then boom, he's like, hey guys, go steal me a donkey. I'm just saying, I don't think that's very WWJD. The significance of Jesus riding on a donkey, which he did not steal, was to fulfill the prophecy that is found in Zechariah 9.9. Yeah, but the... And the king riding in on a lowly donkey with his way paved with palm branches. The palm branches symbolized triumph or victory. The what? The palm branches. The bra... I palm thought... branches, Palm Sunday. The... I thought it was the palm. They should call it Branch Sunday because that's confusing. We all have palms with us all the time. I just, I feel bad. I, I'm sorry, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a time for us to prepare our hearts for the agony of his passion and the joy of his resurrection. So this week, let's cover the road to the cross with our hearts, our souls, and our minds as we reflect on the final week of Jesus' life. And let's celebrate in anticipation the return of the King of Kings. So everything about Palm Sunday just screamed, Jesus is King. Why does this still matter? Because Jesus is still King. He is still King. He is still the one with all authority. He is still the one with all power. He is still the one who will make all things right. He is still the one that will reconcile us to God. Jesus is still king. So it raises the question. Palm Sunday asks all of us the question, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your king? You see, we like Jesus as our savior. We like that one. He forgives our sins. He removes our guilt. 
He gets us into heaven. All of that makes us feel better. And, and when we focus on Jesus as our Savior, we can turn Christianity, we can turn being a Christian and make it all about us. But we don't always like Jesus as king. We don't want to obey somebody else. We don't want to give up our rights. We don't want to serve somebody else. We don't want to give up our freedom to do whatever we want with our lives. But that's what it means to live under a king. You see, we all love Jesus as our Savior. But we don't always like him as our king. And when you live with Jesus just as your Savior, doing things for you, you miss out on what Palm Sunday is all about. Is Jesus your King? And we can't just pick and choose what part of Jesus we like. We can't just pick and choose how we want to be a Christian. The two most common words... about being a Christian are, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Lordship is kingship. See, we want Jesus the Savior dying on the cross for our sins. We want Jesus the Savior being raised from the dead and conquering death for us. But do we want Jesus, the king, riding into Jerusalem, claiming kingship over our lives. That's a bit harder to stomach because we don't want to give up our independence, our freedom, the ability to do what we think is right. But that's what the kingship, the lordship of Jesus means that your life, that my life, is not about us. Your decisions, my decisions, they aren't our own. We can't just do what we want because we have a king. And so if you're a Christian, that's part of what that means. It doesn't just mean coming to church. Because a lot of folks, maybe, maybe you grew up Christian and, and you kind of still identified yourself as Christian through the years, but maybe you've been disconnected from church. And so you're coming back to church. One of the things I love about River Life is we are filled with people who are kind of coming back to church and reconnecting with God. And so a lot of times it's really easy to associate coming back to church with that's what it means to be Christian. Or maybe I'll try, I'll try harder not to like, get as drunk on Friday night. Or I'll try not to yell as much to my husband, my wife, or my kids. I'll try to quit this habit or that habit. I'll try to be better. So it's really easy to let this idea of I'm a Christian fall into one of those categories. But that's not the whole picture. It's a really shallow, it's only a fraction of what it really is about. Can you take Jesus as your king while you take, excuse me, while you take him as your savior? So is Jesus your king? 
That's the million-dollar question. That's the eternity-defining question. And for some of you, you're sitting here, and I, and I, I can see it in your eyes. You're like, I don't know. I don't know if that's how I look at Jesus. So today's a day to say, Jesus, you are my king. As we, as we begin, as we prepare our hearts for Easter, to open them up to say, okay, Jesus, I will be your subject, and you will be my king. But Jesus is a good king. He is a loving king and a gracious king and a forgiving king and a restoring king and an empowering king. All the things we fear about putting ourselves under someone, we, have, we do not have that to fear from Jesus. So that's my invitation to you today. As we prepare for Easter a week away, today's a day for you to say, Jesus, you are my king. I put myself under you. You are my king. Join me in prayer. God in heaven, I thank you for sending your son. Father, you sent your son to die for us. God, but before that, you sent your son as our king. Lord, and I pray for all of our hearts, Lord. I pray for my heart. I pray for all of our hearts, Lord, that, that um, you, you, can, you can speak against our pride. You can speak against our selfishness. God, and you can bring our self-absorbed hearts to you so that we could say, Jesus, my King and my Savior. God, and for those for whom this is a new idea, Lord, and they, they love you, and for those that, and they even believe Jesus as their Savior, but this idea of Jesus as their King is scary. God, I want you to meet them here in the next few minutes. Lord, comfort their fears. Let them know how good of a God you are. What a good, good Father, and what a good, good Savior, and what a good, good King. We have to follow. Uh, so, so I recognize you are my king. And let me live under your rule and your reign. So thank you. We thank you for Jesus, the gift, your son, who died for us, for our sins, and is our king. I pray in the name of Jesus, our king.